The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. Would you take your Bible and find the Gospel of John chapter 13? John chapter 13. We'll be looking there in chapter 13, chapter 19, and chapter 21 for our time around God's Word today. C.S. Lewis was invited to deliver a lecture at a distinguished theological seminary, and while he was there, a group of ministers, theologians, dignitaries gathered for a kind of question-and-answer time. Someone asked Mr. Lewis the question, what is the most profound thought that you know? They assumed that Lewis would give some deep pearl of wisdom, something unique, something that was perhaps never heard or thought of. But what he said surprised all that were present. C.S. Lewis said, The most profound thought that I have ever considered is that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. A simple child's song that we sing in Sunday school is the deepest thought of all of of the philosophers of, uh, of our day as they think about what God has done when He sent His Son for us. It's, it's the deepest thought for us to consider that God would love us in spite of our sin. I ask you this morning, do you know that Jesus loves you? Do you know how much Jesus loves you? Paul encouraged the Ephesian church in chapter 3 of Ephesians, and he said that, 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 the, that we should be rooted and grounded in love, that we may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, the height, and to know the love of Christ that passes knowledge. It is our responsibility as a believer not just to bask in His love and be thankful for our salvation, but it is to know how much He loves us. And when we do, it changes our relationship. It changes our effectiveness. It changes how we live out the Christian life. Well, there was a disciple who knew Jesus loved him. And he was overwhelmed by how much Jesus loved him. Four times in the Gospel of John, John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. The first reference is found in John chapter 13, verse 23, where he said there, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. In John 19, verse 26, he mentions again, when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, He said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And the third instance is John 21, verse 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at, at supper, said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Three times John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, what does it mean when Jesus loved John and and John refers to himself in that way? Number one, it doesn't mean that he loved John and did not love the others. That is antithetical to Scripture, for God so loved the entire world that He gave His only begotten Son. So it does not mean that He loved John and did not love any other. But it, it does not mean that He loved John more than the others. There is no variableness or shadow of turning in our Savior. And 
while we were yet sinners, Christ committed his love toward us. But the key for us to understand this morning is this, that that God loves everyone, but not everyone loves God. That God loves everyone the same, but not everyone loves God the same. So this morning, I want to talk to you about falling deeper in love with Jesus. Recognizing that you are his child, a disciple whom Jesus loves. John made a decision to go deeper into the love of Christ. And as we stand on the edge of the beginning of Bible conference, may we make some decisions today to go deeper into the love of Christ. If, if anyone understood the love of Christ, it was John. Just study the word love or the word loved in the New Testament. You'll find that John used that word more than any other writer. 38 times in the gospel he uses it. 26 times in 1 John. The closest reference in another book would be the epistle to the Ephesians where it's 19 times the word love is used. John was one who understood that God loved him. And for John, it was not some existential thought. It was a personal experience. He spoke in reference to the fact that Jesus loved him. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that in spite of the sin that you hope no one ever finds out about, God knows and he still loves you? Have you considered that at your lowest point, God saw you, but still had love for you? For me, it's, it's unbelievable. It's unimaginable that Jesus Christ would die for me. It's unimaginable that God could love me. But when you just get a a small grasp on that reality, it is then that that love changes your life. I think as we look at the the life of John here in these three instances of Scripture that we've read, you're going to notice some things about him as how the love of Christ changed him. When he, when he came into that deeper understanding that, that, that Christ loved him, it changed how he lived his life. So this morning I want to talk to you about when you know Jesus loves you. And when you truly know Jesus loves you, how it changes you. I think as we look at John, we could understand that when you know Jesus loves you, you will sit where others don't sit. I read in your hearing chapter 13, verse number 23, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. How many were leaning on Jesus? There was not 12, there was not five, there was not two, there was one. Only one chose to to sit near Jesus Christ, to lean on Jesus Christ. Now, the context of John 13 is a room that is, is full of tension. And Jesus only heightens the tension when he says in verse number 21, one of you shall betray me. And immediately the disciples begin a circular firing squad pointing out who the betrayer will be. Peter is looking at Matthew and Matthew is looking at Thomas and Thomas is looking at James and and everyone is in this heightened sense of tension. One of you is going to betray the master. Verse 22 says those disciples looked at one another doubting or perplexed. But verse 23 gives us a picture. As all of those disciples were doubting and perplexed as to who would betray Christ, there we find John, whom Jesus loved, leaning on his bosom. And in that moment, 
he heard the heartbeat of heaven. In that moment, in that moment with the tension in that room, it was then that, that John was able to experience a peace in the middle of conflict. In, in that moment, there had already been tension leading up to that. There had been those that were fighting over who, get the, who had the opportunity to sit where. The seating arrangements were a big deal. Someone's mother had come in and said, I don't like where you have my sons seated. I think they need to be at the prominent place. Jesus has went around the room and washed the feet of his disciples, but he comes to Peter, and Peter, as always, opens his mouth and says, no, 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 you're not going to wash my feet. And a collective breath was taken in the room that no one could exhale because they didn't know what Peter was going to say next. It could be just as if he was casting uh, gasoline on a fire ready to explode. There in the room is Judas Iscariot. He's, he's holding tightly the, the money bag, the treasury, and he knows in his heart that he's been stealing from that money bag. Simon the Zealot still has some terrorist tendencies. He wants to bring the kingdom in by force, and he's trying to encourage all of those other disciples. We need to be marching into Jerusalem. We need to, to, we need to remove the Romans from Jerusalem. We need to take it by force. There's Thomas in the midst of all this confusion. He's Doubting his calling. Why am I here? What am I doing? And what have I gotten myself into? And in spite of all that tension, in spite of all of that conflict, there you find John leaning on Jesus in peace. You see, for John, it was a choice. He chose peace over conflict. And college student, it is the same for you. In life, you can choose to live your life in the drama of this culture and this world, or you can choose to live your life resting in the peace of Jesus Christ. James tells us in James 4, verse number 8, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. Draw near to God, and, and when you do that, the conflict, the, all of the, the negativity of the world is not as important or concerning to you because you know you are near to Christ. It's really the key to understanding how you live the Christian life. You can either endure the Christian life or you can enjoy the Christian life. And you can choose to have a peace that can only come from God. And particularly in these next few days with Bible conference, you can choose what you're going to get out of this. You can choose to draw nearer to Christ and, and experience a peace that is passing all understanding. Or, or you can allow the drama and all the things that are happening in the world and everything that's happening perhaps in your room or in your own campus, all those things can become a distraction. It is your choice as to how close you come to Christ in these next few days. When you know Jesus loves you, you'll sit where others don't sit, and there'll be peace in the midst of conflict. But secondly, there will be a perception in the middle of confusion. Verse 21, Jesus says, someone is going to betray me. And immediately they begin looking around the room. Finally, Peter speaks up in verse 24, and he says, hey, John, you're closer to Jesus than I am. Why don't, why don't you ask him who it's going to be? He understood, that, he understood that John was in a better position. He was closer to Christ to be able to understand and discern Jesus' words. Now make no, no mistake, when John is leaning on Jesus, he is leaning on the living Word. John 1 verse 14, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, and the glory as of only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. 
but you and I don't have that benefit. There's not a physical Jesus that we lean on. But may I say to you, just as important as Jesus is the living word, so is the, the written word as well. And this book is, is the heartbeat of heaven just as Jesus was as he was walking on this earth. Can I give you a little pet peeve of mine? I, I, don't, I don't build doctrine on this, but I, I can tell a lot about a person by how they treat their Bible. Because generally how you treat your Bible is how you view Jesus. Because if Jesus is the living word, then this is a reflection of him as the written word. There, John is near to Jesus, gathered next to him, and he, and he hears the question from Peter. Will you, will you ask him who, who will betray him? You see, he knew, Peter knew, that, that John was in a better spiritual position to get an answer. Why? Because there was a difference between knowledge and understanding. There was knowledge that someone would betray him, but there was a lack of understanding. And here, here's college student, this is key for us. We can provide for you knowledge for your career field. We can provide for you biblical knowledge in your Bible classes. We can provide knowledge for cultural things, all of those things that we do. But what comes from God is an understanding, a perception, a discernment. And that only comes as you walk close, closely with Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for their foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Do you remember the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 5, when he was writing, he was speaking to those who were believers, and he said, some of you ought to be teaching theology classes, but you can't get even out of Sunday school. He said, some of you have need of milk and not strong meat, for every one of you useth milk as unskillful in the word of righteousness. For he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even of those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There's a discernment that comes in drawing closer to Christ. How do you do that with the word? You say, Dr. Lanes, I don't even know what I think half the time. That's why we need to be in the word. Hebrews 4 verse 12, the word of God is quick. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow and is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. In a world filled with confusion that often confuses our mind, the only place that we can find peace, in, the only place we can find perception is in the word of God. And just as John sat at the feet of Jesus, leaning upon him, hearing the very heartbeat of heaven, hearing the words of Christ, so must we. The truth is that God will only be as real to you as you'll let him be. And you have to make a choice. I'm going to sit where others will not sit. I'm going to draw closer to Christ. Heard the story about a farmer and his wife who was driving to town one day in their pickup truck, an older couple. And as they were driving down the road, the farmer is in front of his steering wheel driving. His wife is on the other side of the cab looking out the window. Finally, she looks over and says to her husband, she said, now, Chad, when we first got married, we never sat this far apart. And the old farmer looked over at his wife and said, well, I ain't the one that moved. And I'm here to tell you, young people, if you're in a place today that you are further away from God than you were even, even years ago, I'm here to tell you something this, this morning. It wasn't God who moved. It's a choice that you make. You choose to draw closer 
to Christ. When you know Jesus loves you, you'll sit where others don't sit. Our fellowship with Christ is what it's referencing. When you know Jesus loves you, you'll stand where others don't stand. I want you to notice the second text, if you would, please. John 19, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, woman, behold thy son. And then saith he unto the disciple, behold thy mother. From, for that, from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. Jesus is on the cross. And as Jesus is dying in agony and blood, he looks down. And he sees who's there. Jesus, who's dying for your sin, for my sin. Jesus, who's giving his life for the world, for all generations past, present, and future. Jesus, who is dying, looks down to see who is with him. Where's the blind man who was given his sight? He's not there. Where's the man that was, that was cleansed of leprosy? made whole. He's not there. Where is that one that was raised from the dead? He's not even there. Judas has betrayed him. Peter has denied him. And the disciples have fled in cowardice from that moment. But the Bible says there was only one disciple. It was John whom Jesus loved who stood by his cross unashamed. Romans 1 verse 16 reminds us that we should not be ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It requires that we be unashamed of the word of God and the gospel that is contained within that word. And it requires that we be willing to stand when others will not stand. Even Paul, when writing to the Ephesian church, was talking about the whole armor of God. What he said was this, take on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. He said, if you can't do anything else, when you're weary from the battle, when you're ready to give up, just continue to stand. And if you're not willing to sit where others don't sit in fellowship with Christ, you're not going to be willing to stand by the cross faithfully, may I say. When you're willing to stand where others won't stand, it is then that God can use you. There's a recent book that was titled Faith for Exiles in the Digital Babylon. It was written by David Kinneman and Mark Matlock. David Kinneman is the president of the Barna Group now, and he was writing a, a report basically of this generation who grew up in church and those that remained actively engaged in their faith and those that are no longer connected to the core Christian beliefs and behaviors. They developed a category called resilient disciples. And those resilient disciples were those that held those core principles of faith and they experienced far greater joy and intimacy with, with Jesus. Compared to those that just simply attended church, those resilient disciples were more likely to say that their relationship with Jesus brought them joy, it shaped their life, it, it guided their heart, it gave their soul uh, an eternal perspective, it impacted their life in every day. And they, and they noted that there were five traits of resilient disciples. They experience intimacy with Jesus, they practice cultural discernment, they have meaningful spiritual relationships, they engage in countercultural mission, and they have have a sense of calling in their life and their work. But what is surprising is that David Kinneman found that of those resilient disciples, 
Only 10% of young people who grew up in Christian homes fall into that category. who have a close, intimate relationship with God. 10% who are resilient, that are willing to stand because of what they believe. But why are we shocked? Because at the crossroads of eternity and time, at the most crucial time in history, only one of 12 stood by the cross in that moment. And as a result, we could say that John, John is a resilient disciple. There's two things I want to note about his resiliency. Number one, because he was resilient, he had a deep bond with Christ. There's something to be said by standing by the bedside of someone who's passing away, standing by someone at the hour of death. I've pastored for a number of years and have experienced that. It's a special time for family to be together. My own mother, when my father passed away almost 12 years ago, he was in a hospital bed in, our, in their bedroom, and they, they moved uh, my mother a little cot to be beside him. She was with him 24 hours a day, holding his hand, caring for him. There was a deep bond that was evident in that time. And John, in that resiliency, had a deep bond that others did not have because of his commitment to Christ. But not only was there a deep bond with Christ, there was a distinct blessing from Christ. Notice this. The Bible says in John chapter 19, verse 26, that Jesus looked down to his, to his mother Mary and he said, Woman, behold thy son. Now, some have said when he said woman, what he was doing was pointing out that she was the channel by which the virgin birth had occurred. But may I say to you, I have a different slant on that. I do think that's accurate theologically, but I do think emotionally, Jesus in that moment considered the fact that as he is dying, as he is covered with blood, as he is being mocked and ridiculed, the last thing a mother wants to hear is their son say, mama, rather than break his mother's heart. He said, woman, behold thy son. And then he looks at John, the disciple whom he loved. And he said, John, behold your mother. And from that day forward, the Bible says he took her into his home. What a distinct blessing that was. You know, the angel Gabriel came to say that Mary was highly favored. There are some denominations that make too much of Mary, but I think sometimes we make too little of Mary. There is no mistaking. Mary was chosen of God to be the channel by which Jesus was brought into this world. And it was a blessing for John to have her in the home. Can you imagine the supper time conversations? Mary, tell us about that evening when the angel came to tell you that you would conceive. Mary, tell us about about that night in Bethlehem when you heard his tiny voice cry for the first time, the same voice that thundered from the burning bush, I am that I am. Tell us the first time that you, you held his hand, you placed his finger, your finger in his, in his palm, and that natural reflex occurred. He, he grasped your finger. It's the same hand that, that flung out the stars and drug, dug the oceans and, and heaped up all of the mountains. Tell us about that time you found him as a 12-year-old little boy there in the temple teaching the teachers as he said he was doing his father's business. 
Hey, hey, Mary, tell us that story about when you were in Cana and you were at that wedding and the host wasn't prepared and they, and they ran out of wine and, and Jesus said, go get, get some, go get some water. And he turned the water into wine. Mary, tell us about when he was there in Bethany and, and, and Lazarus was in the tomb and he called Lazarus come forth and Lazarus came from the grave. Tell us, tell us, Mary, about when you heard the news he had risen again. Tell us, tell us when you saw him ascend up into heaven from the Mount of Olives. Talk to us about all of the things that Jesus has done and you experienced firsthand as his earthly mother. It was a blessing for John because he was faithful. Write this verse in your notes, Proverbs 28, verse number 20. A faithful man shall abound with blessings. And when you know Jesus loves you, you will stand where others don't stand. In your faithfulness, you'll be blessed. When you know Jesus loves you, you'll sit where others don't sit. That's our fellowship. When you stand, you'll stand where others don't stand. That's our faithfulness. But I want you to notice, thirdly, you'll serve in other ways that others don't serve. John 21, verse number 20 says, after Jesus has, has resurrected from the grave, Peter, turning about, sees the disciple whom Jesus loved following. There's always people watching you. And, and then we're given a flashback to, to, to chapter 13. He was the one that leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? And Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? And Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Basically, Jesus said, listen, he's following me the way he's supposed to follow me. You mind your own business and you follow me the way you're supposed to follow me. The good news is you don't have to worry about what everybody else is doing. And when you're faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're willing to sit where others will not sit and stand where others will not stand, he will allow you to serve in ways that are unique and special because you've been faithful to him. You say, what was so unique about John? What was so special about John? Do you realize that John lived to be the oldest apostle? And not only was he the oldest apostle, he was the only apostle never to be martyred. He was the only apostle to die of natural causes. But do you realize the highest honor of John? Have you read the last book of the Bible? Did you see the title that it said, the, the revelation of Jesus Christ given to Peter? The revelation of Jesus Christ given to Matthew? The revelation of Jesus Christ given to James? No, the last book of the Bible says, the revelation of Jesus Christ given to John. He was able to serve in a unique way because he was willing to sit where others would not sit, stand where others would not stand. So he served in ways others would not serve. So I ask you this morning, do you love Jesus? It's your choice. How deep do you want to go with that? How close do you want to be in fellowship with him so he can use you in a unique way? In special way. You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.